0: We have a gentleman with us. It's the gentleman upon whose farm we are, Mr. Max Yazgert. in one place. We we have had no idea that there would be this size group. And because of that, you had quite a few inconveniences as far as water and food and so forth. Your producers have done a mammoth job to see that you're taken care of. They enjoy a vote of thanks. But above that, the important thing that you've proven to the world is that a half a million kids, and I call you kids because I have children older than you are, a half a million young people can get together and have three days of fun and music, and have nothing but fun and music, and i God got you for it. <laughs> One might add that it took a man of fantastic guts to give us the place to do it in.
1: Hey folks, this is Scott Parker and you're listening to yet another dynamic and powerful episode of Keep the Dream Flowing, Hey, Woodstock 1969 podcast. And we have the expanded disco remix team on board today. Um, we've got our expanded crew and an absolutely amazing and legendary guest. And uh, let's start with uh, introducing our, uh, our panel. Of course, we have Jack Lakensky from Rockland County, New York, who voted today. Who voted today? He's got a sticker on his forehead.
2: Primary Tuesday.
1: Yes.
3: Here in New York.
1: From uh, south of the Mason Dixon line, Mr. Johnny Hudson. Yes. whoo Thank God. <laughs> From uh, the same town that Dr. Oz lives in in New Jersey, Jim Shelley, the Woodstock Whisperer. For the Good evening, everybody. <laughs> The, the man with the dubious distinction of living in the same town as Doctor Memonaz and uh, also <laughs> from uh, the Finger Lakes area, late of uh, NPR and all kinds of exciting stuff like that. Our wonderful friend Aaron Scher. Yeah,
0: absolutely. We hey. love you.
1: And our guest. I don't know how you can get more special than uh, than our guest today, but um, she's written a book that uh, she's going to tell you all about but I've had this book as I said before several copies of this book for a very long time um you are the second cousin correct
2: that's correct second cousin of Max
1: yeah of Max Yasger. this is none other than the great Abigail Yasger, ladies and gentlemen hey.
2: thank you, thank you. Welcome.
1: <laughs> so how are you I'm late uh oh go ahead I'm sorry no, no go I'm ahead late? yeah
2: I am well. You know, I live in Southern California, so the weather recommends it. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I'm do- If nothing else recommends it, the weather recommends L.A. And mm-hmm. um, I just I had a great day. Played tennis in the morning, came, home, you know, had lunch with a friend. I'm somewhat retired, although not retiring, but uh, somewhat retired. And then I'm doing my time. Uh, doing volunteer work, things like that. So it's a it's a good day in Southern California for me.
1: Oh, that's awesome! And I'm uh, I'm
2: delighted to be on your show. I haven't talked yes. about I've said yes in a very long time, and I have many things to share with you. So yeah, I,
1: I will say before I hand it over to Johnny because I know he's chomping at the bit here. Um, it is. It it actually is one of my favorite Woodstock books. And I'll tell you why, because uh, it's a it's a powerful and potent indoctrination tool for young people to get into <laughs> <laughs> to get into Woodstock. Because, you know, when my daughter was younger, I don't think she really understood what I kept going on about this whole Woodstock thing because I was too young to have gone there. But you know, when she read the book, she said, "Ah, I get that now." So you know, now, now she can throw down for her Woodstock trivia. And I owe that all to you.
2: That's that's (laughs) wonderful. That's wonderful to hear that she's grokked it, that she got Woodstock. It's wonderful. It's
1: easy enough to do with that book for sure. So you grew up in Pennsylvania.
2: I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Graduated high school from a very small town called Greenville, Pennsylvania. I was actually born in Bradford, Pennsylvania, which is known for. Anybody have a guess? I
3: don't. Bradford okay.
2: Exchange. Bradford, Bradford, Pennsylvania is famous for Zippo lighters. Ah. Uh, it's also famous for Case Cutlery. It's a very small town nestled in the Allegheny Mountains across from Jamestown, New York. Many of you may have, have heard of Olean, New York, or St. Yep, Bonny's yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so I, that's where I was born and where I spent the first three years of my youth. And then my family moved to Pittsburgh for my father to complete graduate school. And then we moved to sort of uh, progressively small, not progressive, smaller and smaller towns in western Pennsylvania. And finally, my family settled in Greenville, Pennsylvania, which was a town of about 10,000 people. And they were known for Besides Greenville Steel, it was a steel town, a small steel town. And now it's part of the Rust Belt. But they were also known for something that you use maybe once a week or every day around your house. Werner Ladders. Werner Aluminum Ladders.
1: We have one. So that was
2: my I graduated from high school in 1972 in Greenville, Pennsylvania. And that was and okay. so that was 72. Um, A few years before that was Woodstock, right? Yeah. Yes. So my father came home from, in this very small town, I think we were probably the only family who stopped at the News Depot and bought the New York Times. My father bought the New York Times, brought it home, and said, look what Cousin Max is doing. So there had <laughs> been a headline, there had been a headline about Max Jasker. I yeah. had never met Max. My hmm. parents had met Max. My parents would sometimes take a summer vacation up to the C- Catskills to Oh, what is the name of the hotel?
3: The Concord. The, Concord.
2: Yeah. The, Concord. Con- Concord. the Concord Hotel. Uh-huh. And on their way there, um, after the festival, they uh they met Max there. No, it couldn't have been after the fe- it was before the festival. They met Max at the Concord Hotel. They arranged to meet because frankly, anybody with the last name Yazgir, we're related. It's a very uncommon name, its origin is Turkish. And people and our people came through Russia, the Ukraine, Odessa. Okay? So it's a very common name. All Yasgers are related. Um, we all uh, Max and my dad and I, no, not my dad. My dad Max and I had the same great grandfather, okay?
4: Okay?
2: From From Russia. So anyhow, my parents got together, and that must have been before the festival. Um, And then uh, the festival happened. We followed the festival in the newspaper. Um, It was all very exciting. And that was back in the very, uh, in the late 60s. Then I went away to college and I was always thinking about the festival and Max and what he did. My parents enjoyed meeting him. They talked about family, things like that. I never met him. I never even talked to him on the phone. Hmm. In, in 1991, in 1990, I got married. 1991, we moved to, my husband and I moved to LA. And in 19, and in that, I had an idea. Like you talked earlier about your kids getting it. Yes. I was wondering at that time, I'm a librarian. I wonder about kids getting things and getting the messages of things. And at that time, I was thinking, Woodstock, kids don't get that. There are no, I thought. There was, I don't believe there was any children's literature about Woodstock. So I had this idea to write a book, a children's picture book about Woodstock and Cousin Max. So I called Miriam, his widow. Uh, Ah, yes. Okay. I called Miriam, his widow by then. She was in Florida and I was looking for, um, I was looking for her blessing You know, I wanted to know what she thought Max would think. And she told me everything was fine. I wanted to know what Max would think. She doesn't own the name. I don't own the name. We're named Yasgar. May I write this book? You don't know me from anybody. Can I do justice to the farm and to your husband? And she gave me the blessing. She said, I think it would be lovely. Um, And I proceeded. And that was in 1991. And the book was published (laughs) We published it in 2009, (laughs) (laughs) it was a long time coming, during which time I had three children, worked full-time, was taking care of the business of life, Yeah. Um, and then uh, we started really working on the book. The idea of the book was brewing, Um, and then we started working on the book, and it came very quickly when we started. Um, we got all the text down, and then I wanted to find the perfect illustrator. Um, so uh, then I was on search for an illustrator. I was on cert- in in search of a publisher and an illustrator. The publisher is an interesting story. So as you know, you can see the book here, right?
4: Sure. Yes. yes. Does,
2: it, does it remind you of anything in particular? Its shape. Mm. Album cover.
5: Like an album. Excuse me?
2: Yes. Yes. So my vision was it would be reminiscent, it would mimic an album cover. And remember, vinyl was going out now. Okay? Yes. So this is reminiscent of an album cover. And for it, and you can also use it as a a show and tell for kids who aren't that familiar with album covers now, although they're coming back. Yes. So the first publisher who got in touch with me said, oh, this will never sell because you can't put it on a shelf. Okay, children's librarian. Anything you show in a children's library, you put face out Uh because that's what attracts the kids to the book. You always display book face out. So um, I did not want to change the size because I thought it was important to the integrity of the story. The fact that it remained to look like an album cover. Okay, that was the first thing. Um, There was something else in the book that somebody that a particular publisher didn't like. Um, and we didn't think we could necessarily, it was about, they left the fields and vegetation and it was a mess or something. Right. So yeah. they didn't like that. They didn't like an yeah. image. Oh, and dirty girls and boys. They didn't like the image of dirt oh, in, oh. in the book, but okay. <laughs> yeah. so, so publishers have their own needs. I get that. Uh-huh. Um. But also I wanted to tell you a story um, leading up to us writing the book. Um, Anywhere I would go and I would take out my credit card, up until very recently, people would say, are you related? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it would start this conversation, and they either had not been there, which they were, or they were so young and so hip that they knew what Woodstock was and they knew who Max Yasger was. One day, one week, I went to San Francisco from L.A. for a, I wish the date was on this card. <clears throat> for a library conference. I'm a professional librarian. I have my master's degree in library science. I've worked in libraries since 1982. Um, So I went for a library conference in San Francisco and it was a beautiful experience overall just because you're hobnobbing with other librarians. But I came back, um, I ordered breakfast in the Palace Hotel, this famous hotel with this beautiful, beautiful atrium. I ordered breakfast. I go to sign the check with my room number and my name And the waiter, the person who was waiting on me, looked at my name and said, oh, I have somebody who will be very interested in talking to you. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I can't talk now because I'm busy waiting on tables. And I said, yeah, and I have to go to a conference. I come back to the hotel at about six o'clock at night and I open the door and resting on the bed in this hotel was this huge wooden tray of Calistoga sparkling waters and a big bowl of chocolate dipped strawberries with a note with a card from the palace hotel. And it says, and here's, here's the guy's name who sent it.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, wow.
2: Uh, his name was Michael Jowitz. It says, Dear Ms. Yazger, it gives me great pleasure after almost 32 years to return, he called my um, my cousin, my uncle, your uncle Max's hospitality. Please let me know if we can do anything to make your stay more comfortable. Enjoy this with my compliments. Michael Jowett's Safety and Security. Wow. So he was the director of safety and security at the Palace Hotel. And wow. I went down to thank him. He had an office. Um, in the basement, went down to thank him. And in his office, he had a picture of, it was Gorsese Woodstock. And it's a picture yeah. of him shirtless, this guy, yeah. Michael, in the front on that poster. Really? So things like that um, happen, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, it's a lovely story. And the book wasn't even out then. It was just name Recognition, yeah. right? You know, so that was an incredible story for me. And anywhere I go, I do, I do um, speaking and reading in all over. I've been, to I go to Israel almost every year. They have a Woodstock sort of revival festival. Yes. And, I do a, and, a, and a raffle there every year, except during COVID. Um, I didn't go uh, for, they didn't have it this year because of COVID and last year because of COVID. Um, but the name recognition is there. It's just uh, a delight to be able to represent um, the Yazgar Farm and Woodstock and what that meant. I do classrooms as well. You know, families and libraries full of um, kids and parents, parents who wish they were at Woodstock, grandparents who may have been there even bringing their grandkids. And could I read the book to you now? It takes. like Yes, please.
3: I'd love. Please, please, please. And And the book and the book to get the full version of the book with the lovely illustrations Please go to maxedyes.com.
2: Yeah, we have the illustrations up there too. Um, hey. And if you see. Well, in, this,
3: this is an audio only podcast, even though we're recording it over. Oh, there.
2: that's right. That's right. So we might so, make an exception
1: so, in this case.
2: <laughs> audio, audio is great for this because kids walk out after I usually read it twice. And, you know, they end up feeling like um, it's almost uh, a rap, uh, yeah. the way they say it, because it is poetry. Max said, yes, the Woodstock story, Abigail Yaskin and Joseph Lipner. Joseph Lipner is my husband. It's illustrated by Barbara Mendez. Copyright date, 2009. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Not long ago, when mom and dad were young, when songs of peace and love were sung, some boys and girls got the inspiration to hold a giant celebration where drums, pianos and electric guitars would play beneath a million stars where hundreds, thousands, even more, would groove to the sounds of love, not war. They chose the music, chose each band. All they needed was the land. Before the gig was signed and sealed, they had to find a farmer's field. The first farmer said, there's no way I'd let hippies camp out in my hay. The second said, the dirt, the noise, those unwashed dirty girls and boys, the third farmer said, sure, I don't mind. His neighbors yelled, he changed his mind. One farmer did not think the same and Max Yazger was his name. He raised cows, sold milk and cheese. He liked kids with big ideas like these. And Max said, yes. And the people came from near and far in their van or bus or beetle car. Tents stretched as far as your eye could see where the alfalfa used to be. Music blared from a giant stage to celebrate the Aquarian age. Rock songs and incense filled the air. The men who were dancing had long, long hair. When the sun began to bake, thousands bathed in Max's lake. When the rain began to pour, they slid in mud and danced some more. By the time the fields were dry, it was time to say goodbye. They left the crops and vegetation. They were now the Woodstock Nation, who for better, not for worse, would rebuild the universe and spread the songs of joy and charm that they had learned on Max's farm and teach the world it should relax and welcome all just like Max. Ask mom and dad who won't forget. Yasger's farm where thousands met
4: Yay. And then those, of
2: you, those of you who have the book know there's a historical note yes at, at the end and then also the words uh from by permission of Joni Mitchell's uh, publisher of uh Woodstock. Um, so it's yeah it's a great experience to read that book Now one of the, one of the most frequently asked questions is, Could there ever be another Woodstock? What do you Mm. think? What do you think?
1: No, (laughs) no. I'll go no provisionally. (laughs) I mean, a lot would have to go right. Jim, you were actually there. Um, What do you think? Well,
5: the, the tour of the museum places Woodstock as it should be in the context of the 1960s. And and when you think of it that way, the, the kinds of things that had to happen or were happening throughout the 1960s, not that they all reached and culminated in Woodstock, but Woodstock was certainly a part of that whole Mandela of things. Um, It was so unique that that kind of thing could not happen again. Not that another concert, equally as good and fun and great, couldn't happen again. But that concert, no, that's a that's a one off, I think.
2: And I'd I'd actually like to um, say I I agree with you and I'd like to list the things that were really happening. What was going on was the Vietnam War, Stonewall, the gay rights movement. Was just uh-huh. beginning. The, that happened in June. The yep. truly uh, contemporary feminist movement was moving, and this was the beginning of the environmental movement. And the way I remember, the reason I remember that was because in high school I had an older brother, and he, um, he and a group of five different friends had written a play for Ecology Day hmm. in uh. high school. And I don't know if you remember the symbol. It was like, I don't know, it was like an oval with a a slice through it. And that was, those years were the beginning of the environmental movement. So I would dare say, no, Woodstock with the same spirit the way Woodstock yeah, there can be other concerts. It would never be the same. And I don't feel that I'm being proprietary because of my name. <laughs> it's just a very different time given social media, given um, given factors out there in the world that we have no control over. Um, what was the next concert that happened after Woodstock? Altamont. Altamont. Mm-hmm. And what happened Altamont?
1: Altamont, so, yeah. I mean, Altamont was... You know, it's funny because if you think about it, it was less than four months later. So that whole, you know, the whole concept of, you know, Woodstock Nation, if you some people say it only lasted less than four months. Now, we know that's not true. But, you know, certainly, you know, at least in San Francisco, the rot had begun to set in by then. Well.
3: But even but even before that, a week before Woodstock happened, you had the Manson murders in L.A. You had a dark period in America already going. I mean, Woodstock was a happy accident.
5: What on yeah. my tour is one of the few numbers I use because I'm not good with remembering statistics. Uh, but Charlie Maloney mm-hmm. found this. Charlie Maloney was a docent at Bethel Woods and uh, he said, uh, you know what number I just found? I said, what's that? He goes, well, how many people were at Woodstock? I said, 500,000. That's the number that's most often yeah, used. Yeah. He said, how many troops were in Vietnam? How many American troops were in Vietnam that weekend? I said, I don't know. How many? 500,000. Wow. I, that... have troub- I have trouble when I'm doing my tours, getting through those two numbers. God. I never unless,
3: you're tra- un- unless you're Trey Anastasio.
6: The people who are up here on stage with me—I don't know if you can see them in the lights or not—but anyway, to my right is Jeffrey, and to my left is Fondle, and we three together constitute the Struggle Mountain Resistance Band. And in in a few minutes, I'll ask Jeffrey to join me, and we'll sing a few things together. And Jeffrey and Fondle are members of the resistance, which simply means that you have to turn your card in, or put ketchup on it and eat it, or burn it, or flush it, or whatever you want, then you tell the government, sorry, you don't get my body, soul, heart, nothing, you know. So, that's what it takes to be in the resistance, and Fondle, Fondle, as you have heard, plays with me on some of the things that I do alone, and Fondle's name is pronounced exactly the way nobody wants to pronounce it, and especially my mother-in-law who just couldn't get the word out she kept saying is that fondue and i kept saying no elaine that's fondle and then she was at a party and she kept introducing him she'd say that's fondue is that right (laughs) i said no it's fondle and finally david walked through the room and said mother it's fondle as in molest and so she didn't introduce him to anybody else for the rest of the night to sing you a song called Sweet Sir Galahad. It's the only song that I've ever written that I sing anywhere outside of the bathtub because I'm just smart enough to know that my writing is very mediocre. But anyhow, this is about my brother-in-law who has very long hair and he married my sister Mimi after the death of her husband a few years back, Richard Farina, whom some of you remember. <laughs> And the images conjured up in this funny little song are simply that I watched him come courting. And when he did, used to come in the middle of the night through her bedroom window feet first. Sweet Sir Galahad
7: came in through the window in the night when the moon was in the yard. Took her hand in his and shook the long hair from his neck. And he told her she'd been working much too hard It was true that ever since the day Her crazy man had passed away To the land of poet's pride She laughed and talked a lot With new people on the block But always at evening time she cried And he Softly on his knee There she dropped her smile And there she sighed a while Told him all the sadness Of those years that numbered three Well, you know, I think my fate's belated Cause of all the hours I waited for the day When I'd no longer cry myself to work by eight, but oh, was I born too late. Do you think I'll fail at every single thing I try? And here's to the dawn of their days. He just put his arm around her, and that's the way I Eight months later, to the day, the lines of a smile erased the tear tracks upon her face. A smile that could linger even stay. Sweet Sir Galahad went down with his gay bright of flowers. The prince.
2: tours tell me about your tours
5: <laughs> well Go at ahead. at Bethel Woods the museum have you been yeah. to the museum yeah, I have
2: been yeah okay. I was there with Sam Yasger
5: okay yep. uh I'm trying to think around 2011 2012 the, a docent program began and uh what we docents do there are about 25 of us I guess now uh have been trained to do uh, is to tell the story that the museum tells so as, I'm, as I referred to already, the museum places Woodstock in the context of the 1960s. So sort of the first half of the museum is going through the 1960s and all the kinds of things that you refer to that were going on. And then boom, here we have this thing, this festival called Woodstock. Uh, so that's, that's basically, and because I'm an alum of Woodstock, my tour includes that side of things as well.
2: Right. So one one thing I never want, I, I don't like to ignore um, is the amount of uh, demonstration against Max and mm-hmm. Wood- the Festival of Woodstock. And I think, um, you know, uh, I think it's important to say because there's always an end game people don't see. Yeah, we want to do something we think it's good. um, But what about the other people who are there? And what is their, um, what is what is their stake in this? Okay. And um, I just, I just think it needs to be, um, people need to acknowledge that, and that people have opinions, and they have thoughts and that everybody wasn't for this. We know this. And I think it's important to acknowledge.
5: Well, we, we include the fact that they had already gotten evicted from Woolkill, New York yes. because of the politics of the time and, and the, uh, dislike of one group versus another. And I, and I, I don't know this for sure. I don't, nobody could say it's for sure, but had had the, the the area of Sullivan County, Bethel in particular, had more time, they might have successfully been able to evict uh, Woodstock Ventures as well.
2: But they right. only had
5: they only had three weeks. So and, right. and, um, and a strong person like Max.
2: Right. So, Jimmy, mm-hmm. I was really referring to. The fact that there were just other opinions about this, not about the museum in particular. No, 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 no. And they take an even handed, not even handed, but I just think that people need to understand. And I mean, I grew up in a small town, so varying opinions and different voices at the table are really important. Well, Um, we,
5: we point out the fact that for the local people of Bethel, it was not. A very enjoyable weekend. Or, no, it was not know. their
2: party. It was not right. their party.
5: Right. So,
1: nope. And,
2: and, and,
5: and, 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 and at the same time, turmoil. that wasn't a deliberate thing on the part of the attendees. It was an accident of, of 500,000 people descending on a town or exactly. more than 500,000 more descending on the town that uh, completely shut the town down in many ways.
2: Right.
1: Now, I mean, when I first started going up there in around 1999, around the time of the 30th anniversary, you know, some of those people that were there in 69 were still there in Bethel, you know, the, the neighbors as they call them. Mm -hmm. And they were really, you know, there, there was a, they still had not embraced Woodstock at that point. They hadn't figured out that they could actually make money trading off the, (laughs) off the nostalgia and Uh. off the, the tourism. But, um, Yeah, I wouldn't say that I that I was made to feel unwelcome, but I think that people were not, you know, they would look at you kind of sideways if you started asking questions about Woodstock, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you would get people just outright, you know, like at the at Arthur Vassmer's general store ranting about it for like, you know, five minutes or something. It was kind of funny. (laughs) Well, I think
5: one of the most telling examples of what you're talking about Mm. is the fact that it's 2022, 53 years later, and there is still not a traffic sign that says something to the effect "Site of Woodstock, X miles." Yep. Unless, mm-hmm. unless you know that Bethel Woods Center for the Arts is where mm-hmm. Woodstock was, you, you and, and yes, they've renamed the stretch of 17B as the Woodstock, Woodstock Way. Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But again, there's no specific sign saying mm-hmm. this is where that thing happened that you're looking for.
2: Do you think yeah. that has to do with that with not wanting to attract attention or
5: you tell me. I I I interesting. I mean if if I if I was in a town that had that kind of a possible attraction, I think right. I think people would be putting up signs pointing to the attraction. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Right. Well actually if I'm not mistaken, if you drive when I drive um, from Calicoon, which is where I stay when I visit Sullivan oh, County, mm. to Bethel, um, the sign that says, home of the, you know, welcome to Bethel, home of the 1969 Woodstock Festival. Um, I mean, I don't. But it doesn't I mean, tell
1: you where to go. Yeah, it's a couple of yeah. miles away, isn't it? Uh, right.
4: And,
5: and two, a lot of people, away. a lot of people would end up, will probably end up at Max Yasgur's farm itself thinking, <laughs> oh, well, this is where it was. Yeah. yeah. Or they do or all they the end time. Up in, or well, they end up in Woodstock, New York. <laughs> Again, that's where
2: it was. Although, well, which it's funny because I go to Woodstock. I've been to Woodstock, New York a couple of times to the bookstore there called Golden Notebook. Oh, yes. You know, very friendly with the owner there. And yes. she invites me to come uh in sometime during the summer to read and sign books. It's another case of um, you know, I'll be standing there reading and somebody will walk up and say, Oh, I went to Woodstock, you know, <laughs> and they tell me their story and you, you know it's it's one of those things um and then people who also come up when I'm reading and say oh this is where woodstock was there's a whole discussion you know and then I have to <laughs> sell them the book
1: <laughs> yeah there there was one year where um I've told this story on the show before but there was one year where people just got so tired of it that some somebody started putting these signs up nailing them to um to uh posts all over town that had a picture of Woodstock and it said, you are not here. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. I actually stole one of them. <laughs>
2: um, I actually um, so I was actually in in Woodstock, New York itself, not that long ago, and I was visiting the Golden Notebook and they had your book on display in the um, second floor with the children's books. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's permanently
1: on display. I've actually bought one of my copies from there. Oh, really? I did. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, we. Have, if you're we
3: going have, to buy a copy, go to Mac said, <laughs>
2: Oh, thank you. So, <laughs> thank you so much. And we've just re we did redo our website and here. It's funny. Here's my, that this is my business card.
3: Oh, I love <laughs> it. I've got to yeah, get one of those. It's a heart you. with a dove. And I can't see the symbol on the right a Peace symbol. Peace sign. Yeah, peace symbol. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah. It's a peace symbol. You know um, I was, I, I don't remember Johnny. I think I was, I was talking to Johnny earlier today and I, I wanted to make sure to get through some, uh, a, a question that comes to me a lot is. So you talk about Woodstock in your book, but you don't really say anything about drugs and sex it's and, a kid's
3: book. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kitty lit person. I'm a, I'm a children's librarian, right? So, Volume and, two. And I, and I knew that you couldn't do that. Although, I do want to remark on a particular line in here that says, uh, rock songs and incense filled the air. Okay, there's a nod. Mm-hmm. There's also, I thought there was something else I had in here. Uh, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking we do have some lines from a, an adult version that will never be published.
4: <laughs> Can uh, you read that? They
2: they, read, they they are on the cutting room floor.
4: Oh, there's,
2: there's about six different lines. Two line, two lines, uh, six total. But I will read um, these lines that were on the cutting room floor. They will not be published in a children's book. Although I could say I could have something that says max says fuck yes yeah. i guess instead uh <laughs> or max said no fucking way or the yeah. farmer said, i don't i don't know i always have a book going on in my head
3: so <laughs> well he there a- are adult <laughs> children's books like um
2: yes exactly exactly <laughs> um so here are some ones um i'll read to you a few lines they left the land like a garbage bin but max was still glad he let them in OK, that's, that's good. not that's not so controversial, but, you know, you're talking about these kids who left the land and it was a mess. It was a mess. Another sure. one. They lay down in the fields and went to bed with people to whom they were not wed. Ah,
1: oh, <laughs> I like that one. <laughs>
2: in, in land filled with alfalfa seed, they relished LSD and weed. Hey, <laughs> That's a question I consistently get from um, uh, parents, adults, and grandparents. Usually, and it's oh. it's a good question. It's a it's a worthy question. So I don't address it with an answer like that. But I, what I do say is that it is up to parents and caregivers to um, to fill their kids in on whatever they feel powerful to feel fill, fill their kids in on as it relates um, well. to windstock.
5: Would you include a reference? Not that the, I, I got oh we never got the impression it was a lot of drinking going on, but it seems if you could include a reference to drinking nowadays, you could include a reference to cannabis. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, I mean, you I, come I from could, California. I, I come from New I Jersey. Feel like, <laughs> I feel like there's license to do that. And with the way it's sold on every street corner in LA, you <laughs> yeah. could not. It's not, I do feel it's not up to me, you know, and and the dope is, I mean, I feel the dope is different now uh, than then, um, or at least for me, it is. Um, But yeah, I could certainly have license to put something in there. I don't know. I don't know that I would in a kid's book right now, even It's a good question, though.
1: I mean, I I think if you find something that, you know, what rhymes with sweet blueberry kush and then we could just kind of take
2: (laughs) that's tush, But that's another adult. (laughs) They
5: all sat on their tush.
2: (laughs) Ah, there you go. Something like like that. Something like that.
3: But I can tell you when a small child looks at naked breasts, are just thinking about food.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so are adult males.
3: Well, <laughs> oh, that's a completely different thing.
1: I had to, I'm sorry. <laughs> how,
2: many, how many people here have um tickets to Woodstock? Did you say I have tickets?
1: Any? I have a set of tickets.
2: I have a I set have, of tickets. I have a framed Ooh. that I bought on that I had to buy on eBay.
1: Well, really, did you pay yeah. a lot for the, the yeah, they're cutouts, so they're, those are real.
2: You know what? I didn't It wasn't a lot, but I think I was shocked, even though I knew it, that I was shocked in whenever I bought these that it was $18 for three days.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But what was it? But what was the salary back in 1969? It was what? $5,000 a year. (laughs) Is that what it was?
5: I think so. That's one of the things I point out on the tour, because I have my two tickets Saturday and Sunday Mm -hmm. and they're $7 each. And people say, oh, my goodness, that's so cheap. I said, well. For a kid working a part time job for the summer, you know, exactly. that, that's the typical kid that probably went. Um, that was almost a day's pay after taxes.
2: Right. Yeah. That's all my tip money when waiting tables. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, absolutely. Were, were you
5: willing to spend two days, three days pay to go to see a concert?
2: Right. right. And now I hear Springsteen tickets are going for thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah,
1: you can't get in the door without spending probably a thousand dollars.
2: That's amazing. And and Uh, I I will say
1: it's 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 almost worth it, you know, because it's like rock and roll church. But, you know, even if you're not a Springsteen fan. No, I'm a um, Springsteen
2: fan. And I'm thinking about that when he gets to L.A., I'm yeah, I. I, In reading, that's the headline
3: about the thousand dollar tickets In Mm -hmm. reading further. Ticketmaster has a dynamic pricing model. Yes. So some seats are really expensive, but most seats aren't. I mean, not that going to a concert is $7 anymore, but you could probably get in for like $100 or so wow. to get a ticket. Right. You, it's not all thousands of dollars that okay, the headline this, this
2: is good to know. You you go into the weeds on the Ticketmaster thing. I think that's helpful.
3: Yeah, Yeah, because Bruce Springsteen, of all people, has made his reputation as being a man of the people, people. of the common people. And he would not, unlike other bands, and there are some, but he would not sell out only to the wealthy. He would want Mm -hmm. to appeal to the common person. And keep his tickets as reasonable as possible. Although he's got, what, a 20-person band now? And so you have to pay them
1: all. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, uh, by the way, I just did the inflation calculation on the Woodstock. So if you bought uh, in 1969, you paid $18 for all three days. Uh, The same item would cost $145.31 today, which is not
2: bad. That's oh, not which is, bad, which is cheap. No. Wait, I mean, it would still be ticket? a good wait per day, per ticket. Per all that... for, three days for, for all three. three. Day oh, yeah. interesting. Oh, I don't I know if you can it see, it it see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you probably yeah.
1: can't. But can't see that. Um, but yeah, one hundred and forty five dollars. And, you know, think of what you're getting for that. All that mud, you know, you can't You. <laughs> that's priceless. <laughs>
5: yeah, well, that that's the balance is that are you going to spend a day's pay to go to the Fillmore East? And see your main band and a couple of opening bands. Or are you going to spend $7 to see 12, 13 bands? That thing tips the balance for me. Absolutely.
1: You bought tickets for two days, Jim?
5: Yes, Friday, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Interesting.
2: And you stayed till the end?
5: No, I did not. Me and 470,000 other kids (laughs) (laughs) left on Sunday night.
2: Right, right.
5: (laughs) Because Um, that's who was there. That's yes. who was there.
1: That's who was there.
8: But I still haven't forgotten I used to do it just for fun When all the ones around me Would wonder if they saw or heard me singing somewhere Tuning my guitar knock once I got ten minutes and every night's the same you know I wish I wasn't in it when I hear them call my name same people all around me and I wonder who they are I know they're not my family and they're not my friends by far they're all around me I wonder who they are they hide behind my curtain and they hope I'll be a star (laughs) they say get out and sell them but selling's not my aim I want to sing the life I'm living and try to ease the pain of all ones around me. No matter who you are, you hide behind my curtain and you hope I'll be a star. In all the ones around me who don't know who you are, you hide and you look uncertain but you hope.
0: Melody, Bill
1: And that's our show keep the dream flowing a woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by scott parker your hosts were jack Lakensky, johnny hudson and scott parker keep the dream flowing a woodstock 1969 podcast has a facebook page where you can catch up on all the latest woodstock hullabaloo keep the dream flowing a woodstock 1969 podcast is not affiliated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its individual partners or entities. On behalf of Jack Lekenski and Johnny Hudson, this is Scott Parker saying thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.